and we're back. Okay, Wes. Yes. Yeah. So I I, I follow the, the train of thought, and I I agree that it sort of it sort of represents a limit of thought as well, in that it's hard to kind of articulate what it would be like to to not be able to articulate anything or something like that, right? But to sort of just have um, a, a kind of negativity that that animated you somehow. Um, but this is definitely a a, tr a trope or or a theme or whatever that you see in in lots of um, places. And you brought up Philip Pullman earlier. He's got the um, the specters yes. that appear in books two and three of his his series. Um, which which are like you know along the same lines here. So there's something kind of interesting going on um, with the Dementor as the um, as as far as its effects on the different characters. And here's a point at which our seeing things through Harry's point of view again uh, limits our ability to get the full picture because to Harry's perception the um, mm -hmm. The impact of the Dementor is much more intense uh, than 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 it seems it is for the others, and this, you know, is this throws a, a wrench into things for the reader because it's like we now can't fully trust Harry in a way, you know, and it really worries Ron. He's like very nervous, um, and of course, you know, that's partly his friendship, but also partly this is the person that is, of course, you know, the hero, right? This is the person who the boy who lived. And so if, if he can um, be taken out by, by a random enemy encounter here, uh, then this book is looking pretty dark, right? So, and I remember too, like when the movie version of number three came out, it had a totally different ambience to, than, than the other two, right? Um, yes. it's, it's a much more interesting and kind of, there's shades of, uh, of, of technique going on that um, I think are really well suited to book three. Uh, I know that's kind of a different topic. No, that's good. A long time, but but you, I think that yeah, this this one is like a new start in a lot of ways, and and a big part of that is is the the layer of darkness that's that's cast from from early in the book here with the Dementor. I agree, and I think it, and I think it's interesting that you say layer, and because. It's almost as if the differentiation of the youthful consciousness that is happened during happening during the course of the uh, of the seven books of the seven year education is starting to manifest. The things were very black and white, a very youthful perspective. Here's the good world, magic. Here's the bad world, world muggles. But there's still a bad person in the first one. But now, sort of as there the the heroes or at least Harry's consciousness becomes more nuanced. These, uh, the characters start to become, they, we start to see differences between the characters and new nuances within the world as well. So now we see Hermione going on her path. She's going to be a stud. She's going to be the very best. We see Harry um, reacting very badly to these dementors. We hear also Ginny was, and which led me to believe that what's interesting about what the dementors represent, or at least one aspect, is that the worst situation you have been through is what they bring out in you when they see you. And so what is traumatic to you or what has happened in your life is unique to you, obviously. And how you fight them is also through what's unique to you, right? So they bring up Harry's moment of his mother dying, screaming in front of him, awful. But also what he's going to have to find is the happiest moment in his life to fight against that. So there's sort of a general sense of balance that has to be worked out through one's individual 
experiences and memory. It's as if these, these characters are becoming more characterological on the one hand, but more individual in their expression of their character. Um, and that that's sort of the process of an education end of life. Can I throw like a wrench yeah. in our reading just real quick? Please. Um, I think it's in my, I've got the, uh, <clears throat> the British version. Um, ah. so, um, it's 68, but it's, it's just after he wakes up from the Dementor. And I just, I also, in, in light of your, of your comment about like, maybe things are growing a little more complex. Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, we're starting to see some more dimensions to Hermione. I'm not certain that we've seen a lot more dimension to Ron. I agree. Um, uh, at least not yet. Maybe a little bit more, um, you know, frustration with his being overshadowed by really clever and really funny siblings, blah, blah, blah. But, and his best um, friend. Everybody's overshadowing yeah. him right now, right? But, but, but the parts of Harry that I think is starting to emerge that um, – that he still, I mean, he didn't fully learn his lesson of thinking himself, like, yes, he has unique traumatic experiences, and yes, he has unique abilities, but um, the, 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 um, the interactions with Lockhart should have, or I think maybe we're supposed to see them as that they should have um, taught him to not see himself as above anyone, or is somehow special as a consequence of trauma that he has neither chosen um, nor done much to to dispense with. You know, his mom simply died for him, I suppose. And on the end of chapter four, um, he thinks to himself, oh, so serious Black is after me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, at the end of that chapter, he said, um, he scowled at the dark ceiling. Did they think he couldn't look after himself? He'd escaped Lord Voldemort three times. He wasn't completely useless, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then later, when the Dementor is making collapse, he feels like Ginny's suffering isn't enough to make him feel like he's not alone, right? So, so to Wes's point earlier, yeah, we see this from Harry's point of view, but I think it's, it's a way of reminding us that Harry still kind of sees himself as like an exceptional so um, yeah that's interesting at the, yeah at the end like when he sees Ginny, ron's like oh yeah Ginny was shaking like mad she was huddled over in the corner but the reaction to that ought to have been to share his deep amount of anguish or fear or uh whatever you're feeling post dementor it should have been to share it with Ginny, especially because of all of the people who would know what she's going through it's got to be Harry. Right. And instead, his reaction is he didn't understand. He felt weak and shivery, as though he was recovering from a bad bout of flu. He also felt the beginnings of shame. Why had he gone to pieces like that when no one else had? And, like, yes, nobody else fainted, but um, his suffering is not binding him with anybody still, um, which is, I think ultimately what it does do but he's still I think that that's just a dimension I wanted to point out that like it does become a problem for him to like willfully separate himself from other people um uh you know later in the series and maybe that's just 
the emergence of of attempting character flaw. Well, I think that's I think you're right. I think what we see is that rather than nailing himself to the cross and enduring with others in a compassionate way, um, what he does is it seems like he's a little bit inflated by what's gone through. And so it makes sense that he would inflate Aunt Marge because he would then be literally projecting his inflation onto someone else, right? It's like, it's like you're, you're exactly right about what he should have learned from Lockhart. He should have learned to be the opposite <laughs> of Lockhart rather than to assume, like it seems you're reading him right now, and I think this is probably a correct way to read him, that he, like sort of a young boy who's been through a lot and maybe achieved a few things, is now thinking, why doesn't everybody look at me as the exceptional person who can deal with everything? Um, uh, rather than, why are they still treating me like a kid? Where it's this, it's this enormously adolescent desire to both stand out and and blend in. Yes. And like he to be different, but also to not be overlooked. To be in the group, but to also be above the group. Um, and I know I I know that because I'm I'm astonishingly like astonished every day at how much my freshmen are like clamoring with one another to both fit in and yet outdo. And it's it's really strange. Um, and I am like almost mortified at the thought of what I did in like small and large ways to try and fit in, but also stand out. And when I feel myself even now doing that kind of thing, either in my words or in my actions, it, it, it strikes me as like a real hallmark of adolescence and I'm embarrassed by it. So like when he says, oh, wasn't I, like, didn't anybody else fall apart like me? I don't know what that shame is that he's feeling. Is he feeling shame because he's, you know, trying to be above people? Or is he feeling shame at the fact that he was so deeply affected by the Dementors? I don't know. It might be a combination of both. I, maybe, maybe you have some sense of that. I just, I think it's, I think it's a complex dynamic that he's going through. Well, it's fascinating. And Wes, I want to hear what you have to say on that because I don't have many thoughts on it. But it, the reason why I think of you, Wes, and why you might be able to answer that better than me is because it's almost like Harry's playing the role of Neville in that case. <laughs> He's the sort of incompetent one that can't deal. He can't hang. And he hasn't been in that circumstance much, which makes me also want to ask whether this is just adolescent. And I think it clearly is because I teach freshmen too, and you're totally right, Sarah but also a path of the hero thing. To what extent is the path of the hero yeah. one integration and also being exceptional? Fitting in yeah. while also standing out. Is that the path of the hero? Uh, I don't know. So what, what sense did you have of Sarah's question? And if you're interested, also mine, Wes. Oh, Wes, is, Wes looks unmute. I, I, I think I dropped the call for a minute and came back in, sorry. But, sorry, sorry. I was just asking you what your sense of uh, Sarah's question about Harry's um, sort of adolescent resolve to want yeah. to blend in and stand out was. Yeah, well, I think it's a good picture of like what it looks like to be in that state of, of constantly having to deal with new information, like being attracted to that, but also being in a, in a position of, you know, vulnerability as a result of that. And, and, and so it's, yeah, I think pretty natural. Um, that he would miss some of these little clues um, that he wouldn't, he doesn't yet have the full description, explanation of what Dementor's effects are and, and how to defend oneself against them, right? It takes a lot of training. 
Um, it's not something he's really in a position to understand yet. And it's, it's cool. I think how we are getting this a little bit more um, piecemeal here uh, and, and we're left to kind of fit it together a bit more. Um, it's a more sophisticated way of, of narrating the events and, um, mm. and kind of intriguing and, and grabbing the reader um, than, than we've really been exposed to before in the books, I think. Uh, this character Lupin, you know, he seems like pretty capable, even McGonagall agrees, you know, he, finally we've got someone who knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, and so, Madame Pomfrey too, a doctor. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a, it's a slightly different dynamic, right? Because like now we've got um, a defensive against the dark arts teacher who actually is going to teach them something. And it's clearly going to be about, you know, Dementors, like the greatest, scariest thing that we've encountered so far. Um, and so to, to the kind of general questions about education and whatnot, well, I mean, it's, it's clear that the education having to do with um, the things outside you uh, is also about like understanding yourself, right? It's the, like you said, mm -hmm. Harry, then uh, Neville Longbottom to the, the guys on the night bus when he stepped on, like that's the name that came to mind. Mm -hmm. In some way he is, you know, figuring out his, uh, you know, differentiating himself, separating himself, but also like identifying with and sympathizing with, all the, all the others. Um, clearly, yeah, Ginny had a similar experience. He just isn't quite in the position to like see her experience and, and get it yet um, when the adventure was there. So, so yeah, I, I find this all super interesting. I think that this book is, you know, of the three so far, this one's my favorite um, as far as I can recall of it and of what we've yeah. read so far. And let me jump in really quickly because you just said so many interesting things that I, I want to ask two big questions that we can maybe give a week to ponder on and then yeah. make a quick comment. So I think you and Sarah, I, I agree that both of you are right. And now I see it much more clearly when you, you made that connection with him actually giving Neville's name on the night bus, because what mm -hmm. that makes me understand is that adolescence is a process of constantly transforming and growing while also attempting to identify. And so you're always trying mm -hmm. to put sort of a, a constantly shifting like circular but with some jagged edges like peg into a shape that mm -hmm. is as far as you're concerned always changing though it's always you that's changing so you're never quite identifying correctly or right because you're changing so often and you have to make so many adjustments at all times mm -hmm. in order to sort of identify with the group that you can you uh it's never elegant and so harry gives the wrong name right that's not who he is. He doesn't fit into the role of Neville. And so now when he finds himself in that role with the Dementors, that he's very deeply uncomfortable with that because that's unknown territory. That is not the social rank that he has become accustomed to. Hmm. So usually he's the hero, uh, although he's also been the villain. But both of those are high talent positions. Being just straight up punked by, or, or totally emotionally wrecked by this creature and physically wrecked is um, that puts him in a state of sort of incompetence that he's not used to a state of vulnerability. Like you said, Sarah, that that is unknown territory for him. And, you know, it's funny because like as an adolescent, you never know where it's going to come from, right? Sport performance, girls, your friends, your parents, um, uh, you know, somebody commits in this, this day and age, sadly suicide. Um, you don't know what it's going to be. Um, 
And so Harry, Harry finds himself in such a situation again in unknown territory in unknown territory right because he's going back to hogwarts which is sort of known territory but we know from the north tower is not totally known territory to him and of course as a school there's always more to learn so it can always turn into unknown territory because you're getting information there um but yeah so i just wanted to say that i feel like adolescence is like you you both said like a process of attempting to identify while necessarily failing to identify because you want to only identify as far as is necessary in the service of developing your own individuality because that is ultimately what the seeker does with the snitch uh mm -hmm. right they have to go out into the unknown and win the game by bringing back something new that updates the system the the uh the society and even students seem to enjoy that like when i've just read something and i share a thought with them they love that they love seeing me digest uh new information in front of them but but I wanted to ask this big question really quickly. Um, I, want, I want to ask to what extent, extent, since we have a rotating cast of Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, they represent the theme of each book, and, or at least how they represent each book. And then I wanted to make a suggestion that I thought, I wonder to what extent Lupin is the first really truly good one because he's actually faced the darkness within himself. Now, to some extent, he won't be perfect because he was forced to face the darkness within himself through his condition. Not, he doesn't choose it in the same way that say Sirius and James and um, unfortunately also uh, the rat man Pettigrew uh, do, but to what extent he's effective because he's faced it in himself so he can teach what he's truly embodies rather than just uh, what people think of him in the case of Lockhart and uh, someone who only knows it through books like Quirrell. Mm. Um, and um, now I'm, I'm forgetting my second question, but that, yeah, that, I, it was also about the tone um, that, that you were, you were perceiving um, Wes. I'm, I can't remember exactly what it was about the tone, the darker tone, but it, it was something to do with that. Um, but it, I think that first question is probably big enough and, um, <laughs> well, I think, I think, well, I mean, just to, just to, like, if this is towards the end, just as yeah. like a suggestion, I think the tone, um, one thing that I'm struck by is like, I know that there are a lot of magical creatures in this world, but there do seem to be quite a few references to animals in the first five chapters. Okay. Um, and then I, I, I think you know, with your reference to the characters who, as you said, face the darkness within. Um, I don't know if, if like learning how to become an animal is, uh, is exactly the same, but um, certainly facing one's own weaknesses and flaws is something that we, that we'll learn that Lupin and maybe Sirius have done, have both done maybe by virtue of being um, kind of like excommunicated because yeah. of some part of their identity. It doesn't really seem like in what we know about James, maybe he didn't um, experience that kind of trial, but maybe by virtue of being in a, in a relationship or by being in the order, um, experience some type of opportunity to face one's own weaknesses. But if, if we consider that that is a really important part of education, of growing up, facing the stuff about you that sucks, like looking in the mirror, Maybe your friend holds up the mirror in the mirror yourself and you learn like, oh man, this is a 
character flaw that I need to work on or, huh, this is something that I don't like about my world that I need to change and it's up to me to do it. I think that there's a gravity to that kind of learning that would necessarily require a little bit more gravity and tone, right? Yeah. Like um, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to look at your, not a little bit, I would say it's a lot harder to look at yourself and figure out, well, what about me allows for conditions of injustice to be perpetuated or, right. um, you know, either actively participates in the suffering of others or allows it to happen. What about my role in that is the problem? It's a lot harder to do that than to, um, than to like study history without regard to one's own position within it and right. to look, look at somebody else's role in the suffering of others. And I think that that's right. This, they're a little young, but that seems to be what um, growing up is about is is maybe looking in that mirror um and that's part of why friends are necessary because friends hold the mirror up to you and i would argue maybe back to circle back to our conversation about dinner is like not a single member of that dinner table is perfect um and especially the one who thinks that he is perfect um uh-huh. and like th- that's the benefit of somebody like having people like fred and george in your family is because they keep you honest and that's what comedy does, I think, in some ways, is, like, hold the mirror up and say, yeah, you ain't as pretty as you think you are. And, like, um, and th- that that family where they all eat together and, you know, you don't get kicked out of the family because you have a flaw. You don't somehow not get to come to dinner because you have this part of yourself that's not great. But at the same time, we're also going to hold you accountable to all that you are and like accept you at dinner metaphorically for that. Like that's why I think there's a real power in community because it allows for that authentic discovery of who you are. Right. And it's something that like you look at Draco and his friends, who did we, we learned their names, Gregory and Vincent, right? Like, ew. Right. But um, they, they don't really seem to, they seem to be like sycophants. Uh, when you surround yourself with people who don't make you any better, but who just allow you continue to continue to be at the crappy person that you are, then that's not real community. Um, and you're never really being nourished by their presence um, or by anything that you share with them. Um, and there, but there's a gravity to understanding that. And those are the friends that are like the friend, the true friends are the ones that I think are hardest to make and hardest to keep, um, especially when you're their age. So maybe that adds to the ne- like the necessary gravity, right? right. Uh, of just, the term. just to go a bit back to something you said a little earlier that I completely agreed with. I think that's why, because facing the internal darkness rather than the external perceived darkness, which is probably just projected anyway for most people, is um, is the fact that. I, I think that's why Dementors are so crucial to this plot and also why they're so harmful to Harry. He has, until now, had to face external evils. Now the mm-hmm. Dementor brings you right back to the worst experience in your life, your subjective experience, the evil within you. And I think in that way, that's why they're even scarier than Lord Voldemort as a manifestation of evil, as 
as what comes out of you destabilizes you. And, and the way that I thought that perhaps James and his cronies becoming animaguses represented that was that um, they, they face the beast within or that which is inferior, that which is more instinctual in lower humanity. Mm -hmm. That which Dante represents in the violent, those who are overly bestial as minotaurs or centaurs, people who are overruled by their passions, as it were. And so these men, directly confronting that, then receive the conscious ability to turn into that. They harness that ability within themselves rather than being harnessed by that ability. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, instead of becoming angry individuals, they become forceful individuals uh but under mm -hmm. conscious control um and that that's something that lupin to some extent has had to learn but in being a werewolf and i guess i would, would really be interested for next time understanding what a werewolf is um uh and what it means it, it, you know it's forced upon him but he can deal with it to some extent but it's mostly like his friends deal with him and that's how he mm -hmm. deals with it and they had to choose mm -hmm. to be his friends and uh and thus learn that about him and then harness it in like sort of a i don't know perseus with uh or sorry theseus with the uh the 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 crystal sh or the mirror shield seeing medusa way like because they saw it in their friend they could see it easier in themselves and thus they learned mm -hmm. to harness what was evil or bad in themselves and the uh in the per for the pursuit of good which was by harnessing or rather preventing their friend from doing harm to others and that whatever, mm -hmm. who knows what happened in that shrieking shack? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what are they, because just from later in the book, just to very quickly mention this, like the fight that we'll see, it's like, is that what was always happening? Like, uh, or what? I don't know. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, where it does, maybe those nights weren't, a, weren't very fun nights. Yeah, first mm -hmm. rule of Shrieking Shack is no one speaks about Shrieking Shack. <laughs> it's like the Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like um, you don't speak of, like Voldemort. It's like mm -hmm. generally because they're the not-so-good things, even though it's seeming like, uh, again, part of your point, which I agree with, Sarah, is when you're surrounded by community, especially people like Fred and George who speak their minds and are very funny, you're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to get cut down to size pretty frequently and that's hard to deal with but that's also again forced upon you by the community and also worth it and helpful by the community it's like people saying get this off your face um but about you know your attitude and your and your stupid opinions and <laughs> which is why i like doing this right because i hold myself to the standard you guys hold yourselves to so i can't be thrown out any weak stuff um which is excellent you know i'm talking to the teachers and you guys you know you can be like C plus, D, F, <laughs> not prepared, don't show up for this, you know? And that's, that's a wonderful yeah. gift, I think. That's a, and that's a wonderful standard to be able to be held to. Um, so I really yeah. appreciate that in y'all. So, you know, keep it up, Hermione. And uh, <laughs> Likewise. Okay. Yeah, same thing. I, listen, fellas, I got a dash. Yeah. Um, but what do we want to do for next time? Okay, yeah. I was just looking at that, and um, I think 2-8 would be pretty doable. Um, it looks like 8 is pretty short, but does – do we – what do you guys think? Till 8 or 9? I mean, so we got 6, six is uh, 
their first set of oh, glasses. Yeah. yeah. A six and seven is their first defense against the dark arts, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there'd be a lot to talk about in the Bogart chapter, but definitely we could do. I can. We can go through eight, six through eight, or six through six and seven. Eight really does get to the like narrative motion forward acceleration moment. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Like all of a sudden, something's going on at Hogwarts again that's outside the norm, and bang, there's the mystery. There's the big mystery. So I, I do think it would be worth it to get there. Yeah, let's just do six or eight then. All right. All right. Well, this is continuing to go well, and I'm glad that Zoom is working out so well for us. So our our Ron's wand, and I guess we should talk about that at some point. 14 inches, very impressive. Uh, very different from his broken wand. Um, but so so have our recordings been. So that's been wonderful. Yeah. All right. Thanks yeah. again. Have a yeah. good night. All right. Good, good night, y'all. Good night. Take it easy. And we're back. Okay, Wes. Yes. Yeah. So I I, I follow the, the train of thought, and I I agree that it sort of it sort of represents a limit of thought as well, in that it's hard to kind of articulate what it would be like to to not be able to articulate anything or something like that right but to sort of just have um a, a kind of negativity that that animated you somehow um but this is definitely a a, tr a trope or or a theme or whatever that you see in in lots of um places and you brought up philip pullman earlier he's got the um the specters yes appear in books two and three of his, his series um, which which are like you know along the same lines here. So there's something kind of interesting going on um, with the Dementor as the um, as as far as its effects on the different characters. And here's a point at which our seeing things through Harry's point of view again uh, limits our ability to get the full picture because to Harry's perception the um, mm -hmm. The impact of the Dementor is much more intense uh, than 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 it seems it is for the others, and this, you know, is this throws a, a wrench into things for the reader because it's like we now can't fully trust Harry in a way, you know, and it really worries Ron. He's like very nervous, um, and of course, you know, that's partly his friendship, but also partly this is the person that is, of course, you know, the hero, right? This is the person who the boy who lived, and so if if he can um, be taken out by by a random enemy encounter here, uh, then this book is looking pretty dark, right? So, and I remember too, like when the movie version of Number Three came out, it had a totally different ambience to, than than the other two, right? Um, yes. it's, it's a much more interesting and kind of there's shades of uh, of of technique going on that um, I think are really well suited to book three. Uh, I know that's kind of a different topic. No, it's good. A long time, but but you, I think that, yeah, this this one is like a new start in a lot of ways. And, and a big part of that is is the the layer of darkness that's that's cast from, from early in the book here with the Dementor. I agree. And I think it, and I think it's interesting that you say layer and because it's almost as if the differentiation of the youthful consciousness that is happen during, happening during the course of the, uh, 
of the seven books of the seven year education is starting to manifest. The things were very black and white, a very youthful perspective. Here's the good world, magic. Here's the bad word, world, muggles, but there's still a bad person in the first one. But now, sort of as the, the heroes, or at least Harry's consciousness becomes more nuanced, these, uh, the characters start to become, we start to see differences between the characters and new nuances within the world as well. So now we see Hermione going on her path. She's going to be a stud. She's going to be the very best. We see Harry um, reacting very badly to these dementors. We hear also Ginny was, and which led me to believe that what's interesting about what the dementors represent, or at least one aspect, is that the worst situation you have been through is what they bring out in you when they see you. And so what is traumatic to you or what has happened in your life is unique to you, obviously. And how you fight them is also through what's unique to you, right? So they bring up Harry's moment of his mother dying, screaming in front of him, awful. But also what he's going to have to find is the happiest moment in his life to fight against that. So there's sort of a general sense of balance that has to be worked out through one's individual experiences and memory. It's as if these, these characters are becoming more characterological on the one hand, but more individual in their expression of their character. Um, and that that's sort of the process of an education end of life. Can I throw like a wrench yeah. in our reading just real quick? Please. Um, I think it's in my, I've got the, uh, <clears throat> the British version. Um, ah. so, um, it's 68, but it's, it's just after he wakes up from the Dementor. And I just, I also, in, in light of your, of your comment about like, maybe things are growing a little more complex. Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, we're starting to see some more dimensions to Hermione. I'm not certain that we've seen a lot more dimension to Ron. I agree. Um, uh, at least not yet. Maybe a little bit more, um, you know, frustration with his being overshadowed by really clever and really funny siblings, blah, blah, blah. But, and his um, best friend. Everybody's overshadowing yeah. him right now, right? But, but, but the parts of Harry that I think is starting to emerge that, um, that he still, I mean, he didn't fully learn his lesson of thinking himself. Like, yes, he has unique traumatic experiences and yes, he has unique abilities, but um, the, 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 um, the interactions with Lockhart should have, or I think maybe we're supposed to see them as that they should have um, taught him to not see himself as above anyone or as somehow special as a consequence of trauma that he has neither chosen um, nor done much to, to dispense with. You know, his mom simply died for him, I suppose. And on the end of chapter four, um, he thinks to himself, oh, so Sirius Black is after me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, at the end of that chapter, he said, um, he scowled at the dark ceiling. Did they think he couldn't look after himself? He'd escaped Lord Voldemort three times. He wasn't completely useless, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then later, when the Dementors make him collapse, he feels like Ginny's suffering isn't enough to make him feel like he's not alone, right? So, so to Wes's point earlier, yeah, we see this from Harry's point of view, but I think it's, it's a way of reminding us that Harry still kind of sees himself as like an exceptional so um, yeah, that's interesting. At the, yeah. at the end, like when he sees Ginny, 
Ron's like, oh yeah, and Ginny was shaking like mad. She was huddled over in the corner, but the reaction to that ought to have been to share his deep amount of anguish or fear or uh, whatever you're feeling post dementor. It should have been to share it with Ginny, especially because of all of the people who would know what she's going through. It's got to be Harry. Right. And instead, his reaction is he didn't understand. He felt weak and shivery, as though he was recovering from a bad bout of flu. He also felt the beginnings of shame. Why had he gone to pieces like that when no one else had? And, like, yes, nobody else fainted, but um, his suffering is not binding him with anybody still, um, which is, I think, ultimately what it does do, but he's still, I think that that's just a dimension I wanted to point out that, like, it does become a problem for him to, like, willfully separate himself from other people, um, uh, you know, later in the series. And maybe that's just the emergence of, of attempting character flaw. Well, I think that's, I think you're right. I think what we see is that rather than nailing himself to the cross and enduring with others in a compassionate way, um, what he does is it seems like he's a little bit inflated by what's gone through. And so it makes sense that he would inflate Aunt Marge because he would then be literally projecting his inflation onto someone else, right? It's like, it's like you're, you're exactly right about what he should have learned from Lockhart. He should have learned to be the opposite of Lockhart rather than to assume, like it seems you're reading him right now, and I think this is probably a correct way to read him, that he, like sort of a young boy who's been through a lot and maybe achieved a few things, is now thinking, why doesn't everybody look at me as the exceptional person who can deal with everything? Um, uh, rather than, why are they still treating me like a kid? Where it's this, it's this enormously adolescent desire to both stand out and and blend in. Yes, and like he to be different, but also to not be overlooked, to be in the group, but to also be above the group. Um, and I, I know, I, I know that because I'm, I'm astonishingly, like, astonished every day at how much my freshmen are, like, clamoring with one another to both fit in and yet outdo. And it's, it's really strange. Um, and I am, like, almost mortified at the thought of what I did in, like, small and large ways to try and fit in, but also stand out. And when I feel myself even now doing that kind of thing, either in my words or in my actions, it, it, it strikes me as like a real hallmark of adolescence and I'm embarrassed by it. So like when he says, oh, wasn't I like, didn't anybody else fall apart like me? I don't know what that shame is that he's feeling. Is he feeling shame because he's, you know, trying to be above people or is he feeling shame at the fact that he was so deeply affected by the Dementors. I don't know. It might be a combination of both. I maybe maybe you have some sense of that. I just I think it's I think it's a complex dynamic that he's going through. Well, it's fascinating. And Wes, I want to hear what you have to say on that because I don't have many thoughts on it. But it, the reason why I think of you, Wes, and why you might be able to answer that better than me is because it's almost like Harry's playing the role of Neville in that case. <laughs> he's the sort of incompetent one that can't deal. He can't hang. And he hasn't been in that circumstance much, which makes me also want to ask whether this is just adolescent. And I think it clearly is because I teach freshmen too, and you're totally right, Sarah. 
but also a path of the hero thing. To what extent is the path of the hero yeah. one integration and also being exceptional, fitting in yeah. while also standing out? Is that the path of the hero? Uh, I don't know. So what, what sense did you have of Sarah's question? And if you're interested, also mine, Wes. Oh, Wes, is, Wes looks unmute. I, I, I think I dropped the call for a minute and came back in. Sorry. But sorry, sorry. I was just asking you what your sense of uh, Sarah's question about Harry's um, sort of adolescent resolve to want yeah. to blend in and stand out was. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good picture of like what it looks like to be in that state of, of constantly having to deal with new information like being attracted to that, but also being in a, in a position of, you know, vulnerability as a result of that. And, and, and so it's, yeah, I think pretty natural um, that he would miss some of these little clues um, that he wouldn't, he doesn't yet have the full description, explanation of what Dementor's effects are and, and how to defend oneself against them, right? It takes a lot of training. Um, it's not something he's really in a position to understand yet. And it's it's cool, I think, how we are getting this a little bit more um, piecemeal here, uh, and and we're left to kind of fit it together a bit more. Um, it's a more sophisticated way of of narrating the events and um, mm. and kind of intriguing and, and grabbing the reader um, than, than we've really been exposed to before in the books, I think. Uh, this character Lupin, you know, he seems like pretty capable, even... McGonagall agrees, you know, he, finally we've got someone who knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, and so, Madame Pomfrey too, a doctor. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be a, it's a slightly different dynamic, right? Because like now we've got um, a defensive against the dark arts teacher who actually is going to teach them something. And it's clearly going to be about, you know, Dementors, like the greatest, scariest thing that we've encountered so far. Um, and so... To, to the kind of general questions about education and whatnot, well, I mean, it's, it's clear that the education having to do with um, the things outside you uh, is also about like understanding yourself, right? It's the, like you said, mm -hmm. Harry, then uh, Neville Longbottom to the, the guys on the night bus when he stepped on, like that's the name that came to mind. In some way he is, you know, figuring out his, you know, differentiating himself, separating himself, but also like identifying with and sympathizing with all the, all the others. Um, clearly, yeah, Ginny had a similar experience. He just isn't quite in the position to like see her experience and, and get it yet um, when the adventure was there. So, so yeah, I, I find this all super interesting. I think that this book is, you know, of the three so far, this one's my favorite um, as far as I can recall of it and of what we've yeah. read so far. And let me jump in really quickly because you just said so many interesting things that I, I want to ask two big questions that we can maybe give a week to ponder on and then yeah. make a quick comment. So I think you and Sarah, I, I agree that both of you are right. And now I see it much more clearly when you, you made that connection with him actually giving Neville's name on the night bus, because what mm -hmm. that makes me understand is that adolescence is a process of constantly transforming and growing while also attempting to identify. And so you're always trying to put sort of a, a constantly shifting like circular but with some jagged edges like peg into a shape that mm. is as far as you're concerned always changing though it's always you that's changing so you're never quite identifying 
correctly or right because you're changing so often and you have to make so many adjustments at all times in order to sort of identify with the group that you can, you, uh, it's never elegant. And so Harry gives the wrong name, right? That's not who he is. He doesn't fit into the role of Neville. And so now when he finds himself in that role with the Dementors, that he's very deeply uncomfortable with that because that's unknown territory. That is not the social rank that he has become accustomed to. Hmm. So usually he's the hero, uh, although he's also been the villain. But both of those are high talent positions. Being just straight up punked by, or, or totally emotionally wrecked by this creature and physically wrecked is, um, that puts him in a state of sort of incompetence that he's not used to, a state of vulnerability, like you said, Sarah, that, that is unknown territory for him. And, you know, it's funny because like as an adolescent, you never know where it's going to come from, right? Sport performance, girls, your friends, your parents, um, uh, you know, somebody commits in this, this day and age, sadly, suicide. Um, you don't know what it's going to be. Um, and so Harry, Harry finds himself in such a situation again in unknown territory in unknown territory right because he's going back to hogwarts which is sort of known territory but we know from the north tower is not totally known territory to him and of course as a school there's always more to learn so it can always turn into unknown territory because you're giving information there um but yeah so i just wanted to say that i feel like adolescence is like you you both said like a process of attempting to identify while necessarily failing to identify because you want to only identify as far as is necessary in the service of developing your own individuality, because that is ultimately what the seeker does with the snitch. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. They have to go out into the unknown and win the game by bringing back something new that updates the system, the, the, uh, the society. And even students seem to enjoy that. Like when I've just read some and I share a thought with them, they love that. They love seeing me digest uh, new information in front of them. But but I wanted to ask this big question really quickly. Um, I, want, I want to ask to what extent, extent, since we have a rotating cast of Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, they represent the theme of each book, and, or at least how they represent each book. And then I wanted to make a suggestion that I thought, I wonder to what extent Lupin is the first really truly good one because he's actually faced the darkness within himself. Now, to some extent, he won't be perfect because he was forced to face the darkness within himself through his condition. Not, he doesn't choose it in the same way that say Sirius and James and um, unfortunately also uh, the rat man Pettigrew uh, do. But to what extent he's effective because he's faced it in himself so he can teach what he truly embodies rather than just uh, what people think of him in the case of Lockhart. And uh, someone who only knows it through books like Quirrell. Mm. Um, and um, now I'm, I'm forgetting my second question, but that was, yeah, that, I, it was also about the tone um, that, that you were, you were perceiving um, Wes. I'm, I can't remember exactly what it was about the tone, the darker tone, but it, it was something to do with that. Um, but it, I think that first question is probably big enough and um, <laughs> well, I think, I think, well, I mean, just to, just to, like, if this is towards the end, just as yeah. like a suggestion, I think the tone, um, one thing that I'm struck by is like, I know that there are a lot of 
magical creatures in this world, but there do seem to be quite a few references to animals in the first five chapters. Okay. Um, and then I, I think, you know, with your reference to the characters who, as you said, face the darkness within, um, I don't know if, if like learning how to become an animal is, uh, is exactly the same, but um, certainly facing one's own weaknesses and flaws is something that we, that we'll learn that Lupin and maybe Sirius have done, have both done maybe by virtue of being um, kind of like excommunicated because yeah. of some part of their identity. It doesn't really seem like in what we know about James, maybe he didn't um, experience that kind of trial, but maybe by virtue of being in a, in a relationship or by being in the order um, experience some type of opportunity to face, one's own weaknesses but if if we consider that that is a really important part of education of growing up facing the stuff about you that sucks like looking in the mirror maybe your friend holds up the mirror in the mirror yourself and you learn like oh man this is a character flaw that I need to work on or huh this is something that I don't like about my world that I need to change and it's up to me to do it I think that there's a gravity to that kind of learning that would necessarily require a little bit more gravity and tone, right? Yeah. Like um, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder to look at your, not a little bit, I would say it's a lot harder to look at yourself and figure out, well, what about me allows for conditions of injustice to be perpetuated or, right. um, you know, either, actively participates in the suffering of others or allows it to happen what about my role in that is the problem it's a lot harder to do that than to um than to like study history without regard to one's own position within it and to look look at somebody else's role in the suffering of others and i think that that's right this they're a little young but that seems to be what um growing up is about is is maybe looking in that mirror um and that's part of why friends are necessary because friends hold the mirror up to you and i would argue maybe back to circle back to our conversation about dinner is like not a single member of that dinner table is perfect um and especially the one who thinks that he is perfect um uh-huh. and like th- that's the benefit of somebody like having people like fred and george in your family is because they keep you honest and that's what comedy does, I think, in some ways, is, like, hold the mirror up and say, yeah, you ain't as pretty as you think you are. And, like, um, and th- that that family where they all eat together and, you know, you don't get kicked out of the family because you have a flaw. You don't somehow not get to come to dinner because you have this part of yourself that's not great. But at the same time, we're also going to hold you accountable to all that you are and like accept you at dinner metaphorically for that. Like that's why I think there's a real power in community because it allows for that authentic discovery of who you are. Right. And it's something that like you look at Draco and his friends, who did we, we learned their names, Gregory and Vincent, right? Like, ew. Right. But um, they, they don't really seem to, they seem to be like sycophants. 
Um, when you surround yourself with people who don't make you any better, but who just allow you continue to continue to be at the crappy person that you are, then that's not real community. Um, and you're never really being nourished by their presence um, or by anything that you share with them. Um, and there, but there's a gravity to understanding that. And those are the friends that are like the friend, the true friends are the ones that I think are hardest to make and hardest to keep. Um, especially when you're their age. So maybe that adds to the nest, like the necessary gravity. Right. right. And uh, of just, the just to go a bit back to something you said a little earlier that I completely agreed with. I think that's why, because facing the internal darkness rather than the external perceived darkness, which is probably just projected anyway for most people is, um, is the fact that, I, I think that's why Dementors are so crucial to this plot and also why they're so harmful to Harry. He has, until now, had to face external evils. Now the mm -hmm. Dementor brings you right back to the worst experience in your life, your subjective experience, the evil within you. And I think in that way, that's why they're even scarier than Lord Voldemort as a manifestation of evil, as as what comes out of you destabilizes you. And, and the way that I thought that perhaps James and his cronies becoming animaguses represented that was that um, they, they face the beast within or that which is inferior, that which is more instinctual and lower human, mm -hmm. that which Dante represents in the violent, those who are overly bestial as minotaurs or centaurs, people who are overruled by their passions, as it were. And so these men directly confronting that then receive the conscious ability to turn into that. They harness that ability within themselves rather than being harnessed by that ability. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, instead of becoming angry individuals, they become forceful individuals, uh, but under mm -hmm. conscious control. Um, and that that's something that Lupin to some extent has had to learn, but in being a werewolf, and I guess I would, would really be interested for next time understanding what a werewolf is um, uh, and what it means. It, it, you know, it's forced upon him, but he can deal with it to some extent but it's mostly like his friends deal with him and that's how he mm. deals with it. And they had to choose mm -hmm. to be his friend and, uh, and thus learn that about him and then harness it in like sort of a, I don't know, Perseus with the, uh, or sorry, Theseus with the, uh, the, the, the crystal sh or the mirror shield seeing Medusa way, like because they saw it in their friend, they could see it easier in themselves. And thus they learned mm -hmm. to harness what was, evil or bad in themselves in the, uh, in the per for the pursuit of good, which was by harnessing or rather preventing their friend from doing harm to others. And that whatever, mm -hmm. who knows what happened in that shrieking shack? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what are they, because just from later in the book, just to very quickly mention this, like the fight that we'll see, it's like, is that what was always happening? Like, uh, or what? I don't know. But, um, mm -hmm. You know where, where it does. Maybe those nights weren't a, weren't very fun nights. Yeah, first mm -hmm. of all, shrieking shack is no one speaks about shrieking shack. <laughs> it's like the Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, and it's like um, you don't speak of like Voldemort. It's like mm -hmm. generally because they're the not so good things. Even though it's seeming like uh, again part of your point, which I agree with, Sarah, is when you're surrounded by community especially people like Fred and George that speak their minds and are very funny. You're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to get cut down to size pretty frequently. 
and that's hard to deal with, but that's also, again, forced upon you by the community and also worth it and helpful by the community. It's like people saying, get this off your face. Um, but about, you know, your attitude and your, and your stupid opinions. And <laughs> which is why I like doing this, right? Because I hold myself to the standard you guys hold yourselves to. So I can't be thrown out any weak stuff. Um, which is excellent. You know, I'm talking to the teachers and you guys, you know, you can be like C plus D F, <laughs> not prepared. Don't show up for this, you know? And that's, that's a wonderful yeah. gift. I think that's a, and that's a wonderful standard to be able to be held to. Um, so I really appreciate that in y'all. So, you know, keep it up Hermione. And, uh, <laughs> Likewise. Likewise. yeah, same thing. I listen, fellas, I got a dash. Yeah. Um, but what do we want to do for next time? Okay, yeah. I was just looking at that, and um, I think 2-8 would be pretty doable. Um, it looks like 8 is pretty short, but does – do we – what do you guys think? Till 8 or 9? I mean, so we got 6, six is uh, their first set of oh, classes. Yeah. yeah. A six and seven is their first defense against the dark arts, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there'd be a lot to talk about in the Bogart chapter, but definitely we could do, I can, we can go through eight, six through eight, or six, six and seven. Eight really does get to the, like, narrative motion forward acceleration moment. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Like all of a sudden something's going on at Hogwarts again and that's outside the norm. And bang, there's the mystery. There's the big mystery. So I, I do think it would be worth it to get there. Yeah, let's just do six or eight then. All right. All right. Well, this is continuing to go well, and I'm glad that Zoom is working out so well for us. So our our Ron's wand. And I guess we should talk about that at some point. Fourteen inches. Very impressive. Uh very different from his broken wand. Um but so so have our recordings been. So that's been wonderful. Yeah. All right. Thanks yeah. again. Have a yeah. good night. All right. Good, good night, y'all. Good night. Take it easy.